You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 24. I wonder if you can remember a time where you waited for something and you had a hard time waiting for that thing to come patiently. Maybe it was your high school graduation, you couldn't wait to be finished. Maybe you were waiting for a surgery to relieve you of pain that you have been experiencing. For some people, they're waiting for war in their country to end. Many times we face the difficulty of waiting for things. Today we're going to be looking in Isaiah, we read Isaiah 24, 25, 26, and 27. It's sort of a group of prophecies. And these prophecies, these group of prophecies are meant to help the Lord's people wait. The Lord's people to wait for him. To wait for his salvation. Because waiting is sometimes very difficult. It is difficult because we will be tempted to turn to other options. We will be tempted by temptation. Temptation to turn into sin and to run to other saviors. It is difficult because of pain. It is difficult because of shame, the shame of being a person waiting for the Lord. One of the things that makes it difficult is our pride. Pride of waiting for glory, rather than snatching it immediately. Today's passage, we'll see that this waiting for the Lord's people is set in two ways that seem opposite. But we are, the intention is that we be shepherded by both of these images. On one hand, the waiting is compared to walking a path or a highway, traveling down a path, waiting till we get to the end. And endurance until we get there. And the other way that it is set before us is as sitting put. Getting in a house, shutting the door, and don't you dare get out. Both of those are wonderful images that the Lord would shepherd us with. That we would wait for the salvation of the Lord. For the joy set before us. Because of the incredible joy that is, theirs for, that is there for those who wait for the Lord. A joy that we don't deserve. But a joy that Christ himself deserves. He suffered for our sin and pain and shame. So that those who wait for him would enjoy a glory and joy that he alone deserves. Our first point we'll get from Isaiah 24 is this, the Lord's people enjoy him on the sin-cursed earth. The Lord's people enjoy him on the sin-cursed earth. Let's read Isaiah 24. Behold, the Lord will empty the the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priests, as with the slaves, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. And its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and a few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. None can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten 
as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise to the glory of the right, to the glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed with betrayal. The traitors have betrayed. Terror in the pit of the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the trumpet shall enter into the pit, shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it. And it falls and it will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together as, a prisoner in a pit, as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison and after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. I hope you saw there, there is an incredibly sin-cursed earth. And smack dab in the sin-cursed earth, you see the Lord's people enjoying him. Did you see that? Sin-cursed earth, and in the middle, the Lord's people are enjoying him. You might wonder, why is it that the earth is such a, a place of such uh, of terrible pain and suffering? We all know joy and we all know happiness. We all know that good things happen. But we also know that the earth is under a curse. We long for surgeries because we need them. We need them because of sickness. We need to be comforted when we mourn when somebody dies because earth is stained by death. We experience natural disasters like earthquakes and floods and famines. We experience war and rumors of war. The earth is twisted, the author says here. It is scarred. Why is it scarred? The author tells us. The earth is scarred. It is sorrowful. It is cursed because of the sin that was committed on it. The earth was not made this way. The earth was once a beautiful and perfect place perfectly suited to enjoy God. And Adam and Eve were placed on that, our first father and mother. And as humanity, they reigned over creation, under God, but over creation. They, they ruled over it. Dominion was given to them over it. Adam was the federal head. He ruled over it. And what happened to Adam? How he performed, how he would lead the rest of the world would follow in, his, in the fruit of his work. And what did Adam do? Adam rebelled against God. He rejected God. And we, along with Adam, we in Adam sinned. And a curse fell not just on Adam and his descendants, but on all the earth, because Adam was the head. And so we live on a world that is scarred and stained under the curse of sin. This explains why this waiting for the salvation of the Lord is painful. We live on a sin-cursed, a sin-stained and a God-cursed world. And that helps us understand why the waiting is difficult. I wonder if you noticed that this pain and this, this curse is total. Did you notice this? Rich and poor. Right? The lender, the creditor, the debtor, the rich and the poor, the big and the small, everyone. This is a total, a total curse that covers everything. We also understand, though, that God is good even to a fallen world. Even though they are enemies. On this cursed world, God has still given many blessings. He still causes rain to fall on, those, on the crops of those who do not love him. Just as he does on the crops of those who love him. Every one of you, whether you know the Lord or don't, have experienced rich blessings from God. Every time that you have laughed. Every time that you have sighed wonderful satisfying size of having rich food and drink every time you went to sleep and woke up that was a gift from the lord and it was his gift on a world that is cursed and deserves no good gifts and yet he is kind to his enemies 
I wonder if you notice that joy, even though it is, there is joy on this world given by God, it is fleeting. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. We see this especially in the passages that talk a lot about wine. The wine is fleeting. It mourns. It languishes. It's not good enough. It runs out. It's not enough to give them joy. It can't cover up the pain that they feel. They will go to it. They will run to it. And they will not be satisfied. This wine runs out. The things that we seek joy in, even good gifts from God, and we treat them as God, and they will run out. And this is what God does in the world. He gives joys, but these people turn them into idols. And the wine of their joy runs out. We see also that security is removed. The gates, it says, are battered. We all want joy, but we also want security. When we see trouble coming, we want to hold on. We want something that we know we can hold on to that will protect us from that pain, from that sorrow, from that suffering. Oh, I have that money saved away. Oh, I have that family. I have that good name. I have that resume. And even that, the Lord shows will be battered and that security will be removed. This is the world in which we wait, wait for our salvation. We experience the trauma of those things as well. But I wonder if you notice in verses 13 to 16, there is real joy in the midst of all that fake joy, people running to bad wine in order to get drunk and to be, uh, to, to be, uh, to have that joy that, is in spite of their circumstances and covers up their circumstances. You see a remnant of the Lord, just a small group. The kind of group that is left after a tree is shaken for its fruit, but there's still a few left on there. A remnant of the Lord. And here they are in the middle of this sin-cursed earth, and they are enjoying the Lord in the middle of that suffering. Reminds us of Psalm 23. In the presence of my enemies, you you prepare a table before me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is what this has in view. In the end, God will remove all those blessings of the people who have rejected him. In the end, it will be removed. It will be like a drunken terror, the result of drinking bad wine. This isn't helping us feel better. It's not helping us forget things. It's actually making us feel worse. It's making us kind of crazy. And I wonder if you noticed how the world, the earth in which we live on, I wonder how, if you noticed how it longs for that day when all of the sin will be removed from it. The earth groans for that day to happen. And there will be no escape for the people on the earth who do not wait for him. They'll run out, of a tr- uh, run out of the pit and they'll get caught in a trap. There is no running away. Dear friends, if you think that there is a way that you can escape the judgment of God for your sin, you're a fool. You're running from somebody who knows everything, who is everywhere, and who can do all things. There is no escape from the judgment of God for those who do not wait for the Lord. The glory of God will be shown. At the end, dear, did you see this? Did you see this this good news at the end in the last verse here? Verse 23, then the moon will be confounded, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. This is talking about the glory of the Lord that will come when the waiting is over. The Lord will be with his people to feast. This is actually shoving our minds back to Exodus 24 when the Lord spoke to his people and he spoke to Moses on the mountain and he gave them his law, he gave them his covenant and he asks the elders to come, he asks these 70 elders to come up the mountain to, to enjoy a feast in the glorious presence of the Lord. But now... Now, it's not just the elders of God's people who are enjoying the presence on behalf of them. But the feast is for all his people. Everyone who waits for the redemption that the Lord himself will bring.
Our second point is this. The Lord prepares an eternal feast of joy for those who wait for him. We'll see this in chapter 25, and we'll read the first nine verses. This eternal feast that the Lord prepares for those who wait for him. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. Like heat in a dry place, you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation thus far. Friends, there's nothing better than to belong to God. All other joys that you would experience in this life, good as they are, They pale in comparison to the joy that belongs to those who know the Lord. And it's not simply that knowing the Lord makes you somebody who then enjoys joy. No, the Lord God himself is the greatest joy. And you have him if you belong to Christ. There's nothing imaginably imaginably better. And again, you see this reference to wine in this passage. You can compare the joys of that cursed world to the joys, the wine of the gospel of the Lord. I wonder if you notice that he planned salvation from of old. We are waiting and we can wait knowing that this is part of God's plan that was set into motion before the world began. He planned it, he promised it, and he accomplished it. Knowing this, helps us wait. I wonder if you notice that this salvation is a salvation from stuff. Yes, it is a salvation to joy and enjoying the Lord, but it's also a salvation from things. We see this wicked city being brought to a ruin. The fortifications that once threatened to steal our joy and to take our joy and to take our lives are now destroyed. Injustice, abuse, enemies, even the presence of sin. This is a salvation from those things. He puts a number of things in here that help us feel the sweetness of that joy. The feeling of a safe place to run and hide when you are under threat. I'm sure there has been times where the thing that you wanted most is a place that you could run and hide. A place that you, a wall that you could hide behind that would protect you from whatever danger. This is what he gives to you. Is a shelter from a storm. And he gives two sort of two understandings of a storm. One is a really hot day and you're trying to escape the heat But then what happens is a really hot wind comes. And as you're trying to escape the sun, the wind comes in and dries you out. And he says, but think of waiting for the Lord, of the salvation he brings as being actual shade that blocks not only the hot sun, but also that hot wind. The feeling of having your shame covered up, the reproach of his people. No more shame. He wants us to remember those things as we wait. This is what awaits us. And then, of course, there is that feast that awaits us. 
the rich food that God will give because of his son. Now, why, why is this food described in such a way? There's a lot of details there. Rich food full of marrow, aged wine, well-refined, rich food. Now, we have all been satisfied by food because we were incredibly hungry. And that meal set before us was really good, even regardless of its taste. We were just so hungry, anything would taste good right now. Very easy to impress a starving man with your cooking skills. So it satisfies this longing for food because you are so parched. But this is not just that. This is food that is enjoyable to eat, whether you're hungry or not. This gives us a sense, a taste, a picture of what joy awaits for those who belong to the Lord and who wait for his salvation. Friends, we don't just turn to the Lord to be saved from sin. We certainly do. But it's not just a removal of pain and guilt, but a replacing that with joy that a rich feast full of good food and good wine can only scratch the surface of. Whatever joy you are finding your joy in, it pales in comparison to the joy of belonging to the Lord. And we are satisfied with God. It's not only satisfying, but it's permanent. It would be one thing to experience this feast. You're really very hungry. And then somebody gives you this incredible feast that tastes very good and it's very satisfying. But you know that tomorrow you're going to have to continue your journey and you're going to be hungry again. And you don't know when you're going to be satisfied again. But this is a permanent feast. How do we know that? What is going to be swallowed up? Death. Death will be swallowed up. It is not just life that the Lord God gives you with the gospel. It is eternal life. Life that has no end. Friends, whatever joy that you are experiencing right now, if you do not know the Lord, you might say, I don't know what you're talking about. The things that I'm enjoying right now are quite satisfying to me. I'm actually quite happy with how I'm doing financially. I'm quite happy with how I'm doing with my reputation. I'm quite happy with how I'm doing with all these things. Even so, that joy will run out when you die. But the joy of the Lord cannot be snatched by death. Death, it says, is swallowed up. How is it swallowed up? Because we have a Savior who did not run from death, who did not avoid death, but who faced death and who died for our sins, who was buried, but then in rising from the death, swallowed up death. Tell me that this doesn't remind you of our passage last week about that, uh, about that rod of David that was thrown on the ground and it turns into what? It turns into a snake. And that reminds us of Exodus, when the rod of Moses was thrown on the ground and it turned into a snake. And what did that snake do? It swallowed up the other snakes. Friends, we can enjoy being the children of God, the joy that all other joys are just merely a reflection of. And we can know that it is permanent because death was swallowed up by Christ when he faced it and died and rose from the dead. Death can no longer swallow up our hopes and can no longer remove our joy. But death has been defeated and it now serves as a servant of God, not to remove our hope, but to usher us into the presence of God where there is joy, full joy that is eternal. I wonder if you notice why that, that death was swallowed up, why it was swallowed up. There's a veil that was also swallowed up. Did you notice that? Verse 7, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Brother George read from 2 Corinthians talking about that veil, that veil that is over the eyes of all people. That veil that prevents them from running to the Lord and waiting in him. What is that veil? 
This is that veil that keeps you from believing in the Lord Jesus. It kept the unbelieving Israelites from being shepherded by the word of God because they could not see their need for a Messiah. They couldn't see their need for somebody to die in their place. They figured either God wasn't coming to judge them and so they were safe or God was coming to judge them. But don't worry, I got this. I have obeyed the law good enough. There's that veil that hides their need for to be saved. And this happens to you and me as well. Where either we're just so distracted and we don't think about the Lord coming back in judgment. Or we think, yes, he's coming back in judgment, but I don't actually need a savior. I can handle it myself. I've got God's laws. I've done a pretty good job. I will not face God's wrath. But that veil, you only think that way because of that veil that is over your eyes. Friends, you will not do well based on your own record. You need that veil removed, which then you can see the sin that you have and the guilt that you have. You have not kept God's law well enough. You are not righteous enough. You have not got a permanent record that is good enough. But the Lord Jesus does. And because he loved you, He took your record on the cross and said, Father, treat me the way they deserve to be treated and give them my record so they can enjoy what I deserve, which is to sit at the table of God, enjoying God's presence forever. Friends, don't be foolish enough to keep that veil on. It will keep you from being saved, it will keep you from having joy that is not only life-giving, but joy-giving and eternal. I love this phrase that they utter here in verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. We have waited for him, and we are glad that we did. No matter what you suffer in this life for waiting for the Lord, you will be glad you did. No matter what you gave up, or you think you gave up, in order to wait for him, you will be glad you did. Friends, there will be a day when there will be a multitude of people, of every single kind of nation and people, who together sigh this sigh of relief and sing He is our God and we waited for him. Don't be so foolish as to not be part of that group. Our third point is this. The proud will not feast, but will swim in filth. We'll see this in chapter 25, 10 through 12. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. And the, but the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls. He will bring down lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. Why are we picking on Moab again? Poor Moab. Well, you remember from the previous prophecies that Moab had a a peculiar place. Moab was offered. We have this, this vision in which all the nations are facing the judgment of God. And then Moab, Moab sends this delegation and they come to Zion and God says, make sure you welcome them, offer them salvation, offer them rescue. Offer them a gracious, no cost to them rescue. They can come. They can join Zion. They can join the people of God. They can take shelter under the son of David, the Messiah. And Moab rejects it because of their pride. And so they are destroyed. Remember, we saw that for Moab, it was their pride was that the price was too high. The price was too high. Why was the price too high? Because it meant that they come under the lordship of King David, under the son of David, under the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's too much. I'd rather be my own God. I'd rather be able to call my own shots. I'd rather to lord it over myself and others. 
given the opportunity. Price was too high. But it was also that the price was too low. If they could have paid for it, maybe they would have been able, they would have stomached it. Because if they had paid for it, they could take credit for it. I am one of the ones who saved because I did these things. I'm one of the ones who was saved because I could afford it. I had enough of a good record. I had enough money. I had enough accomplishments. But no. If you are saved, it is you are saved by grace. And you will not be able to look at yourself and somebody who was not saved and say, this is why I was saved. Other than the grace of God. And that pride of the price being too high or too low has kept many people outside of the kingdom of God. Their pride. And here we have this incredibly gross picture. You have this feast of well-aged wine and of meat with lots of marrow for some people that's attractive. Great, great feast, this beautiful, joyous feast, people celebrating, saying, we waited for him. We waited for him. And then you have this picture next to it. A, a cesspool, a, a filth pool, excrement. And you've got these people and they're swimming in this like quicksand. They're sinking and a hand is reached out to them and they're saying, We've got it. We're good. Don't need any help. And they're swimming and we, we can rescue ourselves is the most foolish, foolish, foolish thing. This is the picture of those who do not wait because of pride. I got it. I can swim out of this. And those who humbly accept the salvation that was purchased by one man and not at all by them. Now, does this mean everybody with Moabite blood, Moabite blood will be cast out of the kingdom of heaven? There'll be no Moabites as part of Zion, this great Zion. Well, that's not true because Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite. Well, it's also not true because David had Moabite blood, which means who else had Moabite blood? The Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Moabite right now, there is hope for you. Have the gospel of Christ take that veil off of your face. See your need for a savior and the sweetness of the salvation that he offers. It's not a threat just to Moabites, but to Jews and Greeks and Romans and Dutch and Italians and Rwandans and Brazilians and Ojibwe and even Germans. Our fourth point is this. The Lord's righteousness is the pathway. Here we get that path metaphor here. The Lord's righteousness is the pathway to the worldwide feast. Let's read all of chapter 26. In that day, this, strong, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He set up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous in the path of your judgments. O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My, soul, my spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your inhabitants are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of, the uprightness, of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done all for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, but they, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But 
You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we, are given, but we have given birth to the wind. We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall arise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain thus far. Here we have this song, and it's kind of like a song of ascent. I mean, if you're familiar with this, there's a group of songs in the, in the, in the psalm book in the Bible. This, this group of songs that's meant to be sung as God's people make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And in this song, they're singing about a strong city, safe and secure. And who gets to enter this? Did you notice? Who gets to enter this city? The righteous nation. Well, that... That kind of ruins that song, doesn't it? Are we righteous? Let's keep going. How is it that these people are righteous? Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Friends, to be part of the righteous nation that will one day enter into, and through this pilgrimage, through this journey, through this barren land, this world where we have trouble, the people who, the nation that enter into that and become part of that nation are righteous. But how are they righteous? By faith. The only way to be right with God, to have a righteous record before God, is to have his son exchange his record for yours. And how do you receive that? What does it say? By faith. Simply by trusting. Simply by believing. By resting. By trusting that the Lord Jesus took your punishment so that you can enjoy his reward. That he suffered as an enemy so that you could be treated as a son or daughter. The righteous nation who's right by the Lord by faith. Did you notice that it's not a blind faith? Did you notice it's not a blind faith? There's reasons for it. Verse four, trust in the Lord forever because I said so. No. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He does not just say trust him blindly. He gives us reasons that he can be trusted. This is not a blind faith. It's based on what God has promised and him keeping his promises. Promises he made long before we were ever born and promises that he has kept. And now he does say this looks like a path or this journey, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to new Jerusalem. What does the path look like? First thing it says is the path is level. Why? Well, it's, it's flat. He's taking away all the mountains out of it. Well, I thought we just said that this was a difficult path, Derek. Why would we say it's level? Because the path itself is not an unkind one. It goes through very difficult territory. But the path is not an unkind one. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. His commands are good. We're not having to bear the burden of earning salvation. That is the burden that Christ himself alone bore for us. The paths are level. It is a path of righteousness. 
is a path of peace where we actually have peace with God. That's one of the things that makes it a level path. You're going to choose a different path? Well, it has a terrible ending, but also you face that, you'll walk that path as an enemy of God. How wonderful would that be? But you walk this path waiting for the Lord's salvation as a person who has peace, not just feels peace with God, but has peace with God because Christ was treated as an enemy as you deserve. Now, you get to walk as a son or daughter of God. Which is why it's also a righteous path. It's a a path of pursuing righteousness. Enjoying being a son or daughter of God. It is a good path. Enjoying God. Enjoying righteousness. Now this righteousness that we are enjoying. This path is not a path of doing good things you can get to heaven. How do we know that's not true? What does he say? Who has done all their good works? What does it say? All of our good works were done by you. The suffering of this path, the suffering of this nation, this righteous nation, is compared to a woman in labor who is in pain and she feels all of the pain of labor, but she is robbed of the joy at the end of that. She's unable, even by her pain, unable to produce this joy of a child being born. Israel was never able to produce their own savior. They were never able to produce their own hero that would save them. But that's why it's good that we have Isaiah 9, isn't it? Those who were in distress... To them, a son is born. A child, a son is given. The Lord himself provides for us a savior who will do all our good deeds that will count for our salvation, for our righteousness before God. If you were to stand before God and he asked you why he should let you into his heaven, into his city, into his righteous nation, You need perfect righteousness. You need good works to do this. Tell me, where are your good works? The worst thing you could do is to say, here's some things that I did. Here's a time that I could have done bad and I did good. Here's a time I did good even though it cost me. That would be the worst thing you can do. You do not want God looking at your record for entrance into New Jerusalem. Whose record do you want him to look at? the son that he provided. All our good works were done by you. All our works were done by that man. Where is your righteousness? Do not point to yourself. Point to the Lord. It's a path, but it's also a waiting in a house with the door closed. Now, what is this supposed to make us think of? Where was Israel told to escape judgment by getting in a house and shutting the door. The first Passover, the 10th plague, where the angel of death comes over the land of Egypt, including the people of Israel, and would kill, would bring death to every single household. And Israel was told they would be spared if they each killed a lamb, the Passover lamb, and they covered the door posts and the lintel with this blood. And the angel of death would see that death had already visited that house, and he would pass over and they would be kept safe from the judgment of God. Don't leave the house covered by the blood of the lamb. You will be tempted to leave the house because it's shameful to be in the household of God. People will mock you. You will be afraid of other enemies that you might think are worse than God. Other judgments, other pain. But friends, think, the fear of the Lord drives out all other fears. The only thing that matters is when God's judgment come, will I be covered? What does it mean to stay in the house? It means to trust in the Lord Jesus in the Passover lamb. John the Baptist cried out to the Lord Jesus when he came, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Trust in his blood Be part of his family by trusting in his blood. And do not leave. No matter what the threat brought against that household is, 
The Lord is the judge. And Christ has shielded us from that judgment. Lastly, the perfect peace which belongs only to the Lord's vineyard. Chapter 27. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them to up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole earth with its fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Has he struck them? Has he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure by exile you contended with them. He removed them with his, his first breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will remain standing. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. Where the calf grazes, there it lies down and strip its branches. When its bows are dry, they, when boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So here we have a picture of a vineyard, a vineyard of the Lord's people, very similar to the garden of Eden. Where outside there is, it, it is not lush and beautiful and wonderful, but inside so it is the enjoyment of the Lord's presence, enjoying being the people of the Lord. It's very pleasant where you can enjoy the Lord. You're enjoying God, this vineyard. It is provided by God. Look at all the wonderful gifts of provision, of joy and satisfaction. Think of that rich feast. You're satisfied and it's enjoyable to be satisfied. It's not just, I had enough calories. It's also protected by God. How is it protected by God? Evil is kept out of it. There is, there is, there is sadness in this picture. Where's the sadness? Outside of the vineyard. There's not just joy. He protects his people, his vineyard from sin. And those people have pain and sorrow. You get this picture of a young man dreaming about fighting off attackers from his fiance. He's just proposed to his fiance. She said, yes, it's fantastic. She's wearing his ring. And now he's fallen asleep and he's got these dreams of like fighting people to protect her. And he just loves it. Oh, let me at him. Just give me an enemy. I will protect her. It's beautiful. And this is the way the Lord thinks of his vineyard, his church, his people, his bride, his family. If only I had an enemy, I would fight them. What are the enemies we see here? We see Satan. Did you see that? That great serpent, that Leviathan? He is cutting out that, sa- that snake, that evil one outside of the garden. Get out. Do not harm my people the way Adam, the first Adam should have done. The second Adam does. No evil in here. You will not harm my bride. But there's also people outside. And they're not in a garden, not in a vineyard. They're like, they're like shriveled up branches that are easy to snap. Would that I had enemies to fight, I would destroy them. Or, what does he say? Or let them take hold of my salvation. He's not saying that to Satan, but he is saying that to you if you are currently an enemy of God. You currently are outside of his family, outside of his vineyard, outside of his, his, his grace. And you stand as an enemy. So all the joys that you experience in this life are fleeting and they will end and you will face God as an enemy the way that Satan does and will. Don't be a fool to fight him. Don't think you can handle his sword. 
But take the offer of salvation that the sword for your sin fell on him instead of you on the cross. And you will be satisfied as part of the vineyard and the house of God. I wonder as you've gone through these four chapters, I wonder if you notice the extent of the vineyard. How far does that vineyard go? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's as far as the Mount Zion goes. Where's that? How far, is, how far is Mount Zion? How many people are going to fit on Mount Zion, this place where you'd head to go to experience the temple of God, the city of God, the people of God, the presence of God? Where, what are its boundaries? The answer is there's no boundaries. The whole earth will be filled with this vine of God, this vineyard. But Jesus tells us that there's only one way to be part of that vineyard. Because there is actually only one vine. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the righteous vine. And friends, you can be grafted into his vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. And that is not done by earning it or swimming out of that cesspool. Think of that image. That is done by faith. Turn from being an enemy of God. Don't be a fool to think that he is not God, that he doesn't have a sword. And don't be a fool to think that you can handle it when he already handled it for you on the cross where the sword of God's judgment fell on him instead of you. And what would be your fate? Peace with God. Peace with God. Forever. Not simply that you will feel peaceful, but you have peace. And so the peace you feel is a real one that you can have confidence in because because of what God has done. Friends, it is difficult to wait. It is difficult to wait, but you will not regret it. Because even in the waiting, you can enjoy God now. You can enjoy peace with God now. You can walk this difficult path with God as your father rather than your enemy. But at the end, there is a feast full of fine wine and rich food. Well, you will enjoy the presence of God forever. So do not leave that path. And do not, for goodness sake, leave the house covered with the lamb's blood. We can celebrate Erna's death. She made it. She can say right now, there, that is my God. I waited for him. All my works were done by him. And here I am. May it be so for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you don't just tell us to wait, but you give us good reason to wait. We thank you for the joy that is ours that does not belong to us because we deserve it, but it belongs to the son that we were not able to produce, the salvation we were not able to produce, the fruit we were not able to produce, Lord, but to the vine that we are simply grafted into, the one who was cut off that we might enter in. Lord, you are our redeemer. You are our rock. Let us hide ourselves in you and wait. I pray that you would do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.